So, uh, hey, one of the things that we like to do at Christmas time or Advent season, like adventure, we get to be non-traditional in a lot of ways, uh, but in, in a lot of ways we also get to kind of call back to old school traditions that have existed within the church for centuries. Advent is one of those things. And, and at Adventure, our student ministry, we believe that our student ministry is not necessarily the next generation of our church, but is the now generation of, when it comes to leading our church. And so I'm going to invite uh, Ben and Ainsley from our student ministry to join me up here. They're going to kind of kick off Advent for us. So give it up for them. So I'm going to get out of the way and let them kind of kick off Advent and, and what it means so you all can kind of dial in with, uh, with Ben and Ainsley. Take it away, y'all. So today is the first Sunday of Advent. The word and true meaning of the season of Advent points to the arrival of an awaited person and the beginning of a, a significant event. The person is Jesus. The event is the mission of salvation for all of humanity. Each week during Advent, we light a candle. On the first week, the candle symbolizes hope, the true hope that we have in Jesus. John 1, 1 through 3 says, In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. And this morning, uh, as we kick off this Advent season, uh, Lord, we are excited. Like, like Ben said, Advent, the whole thing points to uh, our expectation. We are waiting uh, for an important person to arrive and for a significant event to begin. And Jesus, you are that important person. And Jesus, you are the beginning of that significant event, uh, that mission of salvation. So Jesus, today we want to lean in uh, to what you want to teach us, to how you want to teach us. Uh, and Lord, we are so thankful that you give us leaders like, like Ben and Ainsley uh, to, to set this up, to point us to what matters most today. Uh, so Jesus, will we just give you our hearts, we give you our attention. We want to learn more about you today. Uh, we pray all this in your name. Everybody said... Amen. Y'all can give it up for Ben and Ainsley. Thank you all. Thank you all. I want, like, Ben's like the cool, like, look at those cowboy boots, man. I just, I'm, I can't hang with our student ministry. I tried. Like, I went to camp with them this summer, which was, like, my first camp after having been retired from student ministry for all of, like, three years. And I'm, I realized at the end of it, I just can't hang, which is why we love Casey, right, because he can. Yeah, 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 that's right. So we are starting, if you didn't want, if you came in this morning, you're like, why is the countdown a Costco? Um, and it was funny because we were back in the tech booth. We're all watching the countdown, and we're like, hey, that reminds me. I need to go to Costco. Um, this is why I... Our, our Christmas series, our Advent series this year is called Jesus Christ Superstore, right? And we are, over the next few weeks, going to discover the truth about who Jesus really is. And so the, the thing is, I got thinking about this as we were planning this series. What separates a superstore from a regular store? Like, what is it that, that separates a superstore from a regular store or like a supermarket from just a, a regular market? And here's what it is to me, right? This is kind of what separates it for me. It comes down to how many options you have, right? Regular stores, they've got options, but superstores, they've got lots of options, right? And, and just kind of as a culture and as a society, let's be honest, we really don't want regular store or, or regular average market anymore, right? We, we almost feel like we have to apologize, like when we have to stop at a regular store, Instead of going to a superstore, like you show up with something, for, you know, to cook at somebody's house or you go get groceries and it's like, listen, I'm sorry. We just had to go to like the plain old Walmart. We were desperate, right? We were so desperate. We had no choice. That's all there was, right? We get judged hard when we didn't go to the superstore. Because here's the thing. We need those kind of places. We need those kind of choices. We need those kinds of options. And we don't want anything that's not super, 
We don't want anything that, that's, that's not something beyond average, extraordinary, right? But, but the superstore and the supermarket, right, for me at least, they provide overwhelming amounts of option and choices. So a new Kroger just opened by my house not, not long ago, beginning of November, and it's like the, the prototype for all the Krogers that they're going to be building, which means this, it's new, and I walked in the door for the first time, and it's backwards. You ever walk into a grocery store that's oriented different than the one you normally go to? And you're like, why they do this? It messed me up, right? Like, here's the thing. It was, it was a brand new Kroger. I made the mistake of going, like, on opening week, right? And things started off really, really good, even though it was backwards. But I got lost somewhere in the bread aisle and just gave up. I felt like Tom Hanks in Castaway, like I need to build a shelter for myself and make a fire, and maybe someone will come find me eventually. They'll report me as missing. But, but the fact is this, right? You walk down the aisles of a Costco, a superstore, whatever it is, we, we've never had more options and more choices to choose from in our daily lives than we do right now. Like, we've never had more things that are readily available to us, right? Things that we can get on demand. The, the, the thing is this, is like when you look at Amazon and, and it's not two-day shipping, you kind of freak out a little bit. Like, you almost point your finger at whoever it is that makes the thing you want. It's like, not buying that. I'll buy something. Why can't you provide two-day shipping? I'll buy something cheaper, worse, off-brand, whatever it is, because I can get it faster. We want it on demand. We've been given the power to choose what we like, that fits our unique and personal taste. But here's the thing. In, in like the vast ocean of choices and options, we have to be really careful because it's easy to kind of s- slide in these counterfeit options, right? Things that look like the real thing, but if we're not careful, we're going to end up settling for an imitation of what they really are. For example, how many of us in here are fans of Pringles? You like Pringles? Be careful. you got to watch out for prongles, Right? These are real, by the way. Like I searched on the, the Google machine, like off-brand generic things. So these, these look like Pringles, but they're Prongles. And the, you know, the Pringles slogan is, once you pop, you can't stop. This one is, once you pop, that's great. <laughs> like you imagine the marketing team, like where do we go from here? We can't say you can't stop. I, I don't know. But once you pop, good for you. <laughs> good job. Right? It's like congratulating. You did the right thing. You popped. Congratulations, right? Or, or, or maybe it's this one, Oreos or cream betweens. I'm just going to leave that one alone. We're going to move on, right? You've heard of maybe I can't believe it's not butter, but have you heard of, wow, I totally thought it was butter. <laughs> just a little bit different, but at the same time, you're still amazed, aren't you? You thought it was butter. It's not. This one killed me, right? Hamburger helper, right? We've used that from time to time, but have you ever heard of panburger partner? At this point, they just gave up, right? It's like hamburger helper. That's alliteration. That works. What, what, we can't say helper, partner. What rhymes with, ha- what, what's the, panburger. That's not even a real word, like panburger partner. Now, this one is my, my, my personal favorite, right? Um, I'm a big Diet Dr. Pepper fan. You guys know DDP is like my favorite soft drink. Diet Dr. Bob and Mountain Shoutin'. Right, like it's just like here's the thing, like it, like, it, doc, doc, like the thing is 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 when you get it, these two things go together, when you partake in mountain shouting, it's just a matter of time before you need to go see Diet Dr. Bob, right? So that's that's what happens. But if you want to get closer to the real thing, there's Mountain View, 
which is just fantastic, right? You can always go. If you don't want to pay those high prices of, of Mountain Dew, you can always get yourself a Mountain View. And here's the thing. All that's really funny. And the, the truth is, between Prongles, Mountain Shouting, and Panburger Partner, I almost got nothing done on Thursday. Thursdays are usually when I write my sermons. You ask our staff. Like, I was just in my office, just with my head on my desk, just crying, laughing at, at these things, right? But, but the reality for some of us is this. That's funny to look at those things, and we get a kick out of that. But, but here's the thing. We take the same mentality of choice and really kind of the entitlement of options that we walk into a superstore with, and we apply that to Jesus. We apply that to Jesus. We apply that to our faith, which is what we believe in, and we apply that to our faithfulness, which is how we live. It's like I want, I feel entitled. I feel entitled to, to kind of pick and choose what I want. I feel entitled to kind of craft this thing it, the way I want it to look. When it comes to what I believe in and when it comes to how I live my life, I want to believe in a version of Jesus that fits with how I want to live my life. And I'll keep shopping around until I can find one. I'll keep looking around until I can craft the version, version of Jesus that's, that's tailored to kind of my personal taste. you got music buffs in the room. It's like the great philosophers Depeche Mode said, we want our own personal Jesus. Right? You know the song? You're, you're hearing it in your head right now. Someone to hear our prayers. Someone who cares. Someone who's there. Pick up the receiver. I'll make you a believer. Right? But seriously, like, go read and go listen to the song Personal Jesus by Depeche Mode. It pretty much nails kind of what we're after and our, our, our approach. Some of us in the room, we're looking for our own personal Jesus. And we've been looking for this personal Jesus. We've been trying to, to, to craft this personal Jesus for a while. But but maybe for some of us, it's not that we're looking for our own personal Jesus, someone to fit our taste. It's more the fact that maybe some point along the road in our lives, we were sold a version of Jesus that looked like the real thing on the surface. We bought into a version of faith and faithfulness that we were told would change our lives. We bought into a community a church, a family, whatever it is that, that promised us that they would be there for us through thick and thin, but then things didn't turn out like we expected. Things didn't go how we were promised. Maybe our lives hit a wall. Maybe our, our marriages fell apart. Maybe someone that we loved and care about didn't get better. They got worse. Or maybe for some of us, it was the thing that we thought we could hide and keep secret. That thing got found out. And when those things happen, because the version of Jesus we bought into was a weak and kind of neutered knockoff, we were led to believe that, that Jesus really isn't strong enough to handle our kind of mess. Like, Jesus can't handle my mess. He, he's, he's maybe more kind of bent towards those people that aren't quite as messy as I am. That version of kind of unconditional faith and faithfulness, like that we were sold, turned out to be totally conditional. Right? We, because of our lives, things that happened to us, we no longer satisfied all of the conditions. We didn't meet the criteria. We didn't look a certain way, dress a certain way, act a certain way, belong to a certain group, so we didn't fit in anymore. And so maybe for some of us in the room, we don't even go down the Jesus aisle anymore because we did that once and it got us hurt. And the only reason we're here right now is because we lost a bet. I don't know. But before we dive all the way into this today, I, I want to share with you one of the things that kind of led us to approach our Advent series like this. A few years ago, I got to work in student ministry with, with a 20-year-old, 20-ish-year-old seminary student. His name was Siraj, and he was in the United States for a number of years working on his master's and Ph.D. in theology. Siraj was originally from India, and in India, the dominant kind of faith, religion, is Hinduism. And one day, he was telling me about where he grew up. 
and how when he would grow up, that a lot of people in, in his neighborhood and a lot of families would go to this place called the God Store, essentially. It was this hometown, his hometown where he grew up, right in the center of town, was this store that was essentially a God Store. And so I'm, I'm listening to Siraj tell the story. I'm like, time out, hold on. God Store, like what is that? And he proceeded to, to tell me that in Hinduism, there are 33 million gods and goddesses. And in India, there are stores that you can go to, and you can go shopping for the god or the goddess that you're looking for. The god or the goddess that you worship, or the god or the goddess that you need to show up in your life for whatever reason. And so I looked this up, right? And not only can you shop in person for whatever god or goddess you need, you can also order them online, and they'll ship them to you. Here's what one of the websites had to say. This was like splashed up on like their main page. It was this. This is your one-stop shop for buying gods and idols online. Whether you need silver idols or marble statues, our collection has everything you need in one place. One thing, which is a must for everyone, is your God's blessings. We're here for you to provide idols at a reasonable price. Which means this, I don't wanna pay too much, right? Like I, I need the God that I need to show up for this specific moment. I need the God that I need to show up for this specific season to handle the problems that I have. But I don't want to pay too much for that. Like there's a part of us that even as we think about Jesus, as we think about our faith, our belief in Jesus, it's like, well, I want to believe in Jesus and I want all the things that Jesus offers, but, but, but I don't want to shell out too much for that. Like, what's the bare minimum? Like, what, what's the cost? Like, what do I need to give when it comes to, to time and energy and effort and treasure like we talked about? Like, what, what's, what's kind of the, the, the low bar? What's the minimum expectation? How much do I need? Like, what's, the, what's the, the lowest tier of membership? I don't want it to cost me too much because I got other things going on. I got other things that I need to give my time, my talent, and my treasure to. So, so show me a Jesus that's not going to ask too much of me. And so I just want to be honest, right, up front, right, where we're going for the next four weeks in the, the lead up to Christmas. Like, this is all of our cards on the table, no bait and switch. This is what you're getting into this for, right? The goal is this, for everybody to walk out each week through, everybody that comes in our doors, right, that, that we come to a place each week where we can meet and get to know and worship the real Jesus. Because that's what Christmas is all about. The, the crazy thing is, though, if you ask someone now, what's Christmas all about, that's probably not what they would say. Well, Christmas is all about gifts under a tree. Christmas is all about lists and hopes and expectations of something that maybe someone will give us. Christmas is, it is about office parties and holiday parties and, and getting maybe a week or so off of work, stuff like that. Christmas is all about me. And so here's the deal. For those of us who are looking and shopping for our own personal Jesus, a Jesus that's going to match our own personal tastes, here, i got to tell you this, it, it's no different it's no different than, than hopping online and going to an online God store to find the kind of God that you need in hopes that you might get his blessing. If that's what you're looking for, if, if what Advent season for you is, is just kind of this reminder of, oh, yeah, yeah, I need to go find that Jesus that, that's going to give me what I need in this time in my life. If that's the case, you might as well just be hopping on one of those stores. And we do the same thing. We do the same kind of thing that Siraj talked about, except here's what we do. We do a better job of kind of disguising the God stores in our lives. Those God stores that we go to look like spending our time, effort, and energy on getting a promotion in our job. Looks like time, effort, and energy get spent on getting, gaining more influence, gaining more status, gaining more success, gaining more money, whatever it is. But many of us, here's the truth, what we worship is an idol. 
And what we dip into when we do that is idolatry. Instead of really worshiping Jesus, what we're doing is we're worshiping ourselves and just slapping Jesus' name on it. That's idolatry. And Jesus has a whole lot to say about idolatry. And here's the thing. It's not to shame you. It's not to make you feel like an idiot, right? It's not. Jesus has a lot to say about idolatry. We're going to talk about that in the next couple weeks. The reason that he does is he wants to save you from something that's empty. He wants to save you from something that will never live up to its promise. He wants to save you from that disappointment that you're ultimately going to learn and find out the hard way. Jesus says, man, I want to save you from that. So if that's you, if, if you've kind of been shopping for your own personal Jesus, over the next few weeks, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get the opportunity to exchange your personal Jesus, the one you bought in your own God store, for the real thing. Like you can make a swap. And for those of us who maybe were sold at one time in our lives this knockoff version of Jesus, there is a real Jesus who doesn't hide from you, who won't run from you, isn't mad at you. In fact, when you read the Bible, what we learn is that he's searching for you, that he's looking for you, that he wants to find you and wants you to find him. If that's you, then over the next few weeks, you're going to have the chance to get in the same room with the real Jesus and take him up on his offer to work things out in your life, all right? So that's a ton of setup. Grab your Bibles uh, and open up to John chapter 1. Ainsley read this for us this morning. We're going to read it again. Uh, here's the, she read the, the New Living Translation, which is a great way to read the Bible because it's easy to understand. This is the English Standard Version, right? So it's a little bit different version, same scripture. Uh, if you need a Bible, we've got free Bibles in the back. Make sure you grab one, pick one up, take one home. Here's what it says. John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was, in the beginning, with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, here's what I want to do. Before we start to unpack this together, there are a couple things you need to know. First is this. The, of the four biographies of Jesus, right, you might have heard them called Gospels, the first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John's biography of Jesus is different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke's, right? It's a little bit different. And, and here's one of, the, main, one of the, the key differences. John's story and account of Jesus reads more like an autobiography than just a regular biography, which means this. When you read John's Gospel, it's almost more like Jesus wrote it himself, Right? There's way more first-person Jesus in John's gospel than there is in Matthew or Mark's or, or Luke's. Like, you don't just see in John's gospel, you don't just see what happened, but you catch more glimpses of like, the heart and emotion and some of Jesus' thoughts and feelings that, that the other gospels don't include. And the reason for that is outside of Jesus' own family, John probably knew Jesus better than anybody else. And this isn't to say that, that when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it isn't to say that they're less than or not as good. That's not what I'm saying, right? So make sure you don't hear me say that. I'm just saying this. It's important for us to know when we read John's Gospel, John's biography of Jesus, you're reading the account of someone who knew him really, really, really well. You're reading the account of someone whose friendship with Jesus was closer than some of the others, and so when you read John's gospel, you have to take that kind of perspective and understanding into kind of how we walk through all of this stuff together. Basically, it's this. You're not reading someone that knew a lot of facts about Jesus. You're reading someone who really knew Jesus, really knew him, was close to him. So let's dig in. Catch this. At the beginning of John's gospel, it starts 
with the same way that the entire Bible starts. It starts with these three words, in the beginning. The whole Bible starts that way. If you you open up to page one, verse one, it starts with, in the beginning. John starts his gospel the exact same way, and he does it on purpose. One author I read this week says, John's gospel begins with an expression about Jesus that kind of assumes and implies a timeless eternity. In other words, what that means is this. When John says, in the beginning, he's not referring to the, the date or the time, or the place, or the moment of Jesus' birth, right? That's not what he's talking about. Like, John isn't talking about Jesus' birth, the Christmas story. He's not talking about that. For you and I, that might be the case, right? If someone was going to do a biography of your life, or of my life, or if I was going to write my own autobiography, I would refer to my own in-the-beginning moment, and my in-the-beginning moment would refer to a specific date, place, and time. So if it was my autobiography of yours, right, mine would would read like this. In the beginning, on June 19th, 1980, Brad came to be, and the world changed forever, right? But with Jesus, John, he's not referencing a specific moment in time. Instead, what John does when he uses those three words in the beginning, John's pointing to Jesus' presence outside of time. And I know that may be kind of hard to wrap our, our brains around, right? Like, well, what does that mean? That seems kind of strange. See, see, John uses the same three words to start the gospel that Genesis use, uses to start the Bible, and he does that on purpose. It's not an accident. Why? Well, why does John do this? Because right off the bat, what John wants us to know about Jesus is Jesus' nature. John wants us to understand Jesus' nature before we understand anything else. Now, if you were with us in the last couple of weeks, we did this series called Supernatural. We talked about just the supernatural aspects and spiritual, super, spiritual aspects of our faith, of the Bible, the Holy Spirit, right? We spent four weeks kind of unpacking who the Holy Spirit is. And this was a triangle that we used to kind of help us make sense of this. And it was that when the Bible says in the beginning and when John says in the beginning, they're talking about the same time. They're talking about the same place. And that is this, that God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they all existed together, not as one thing, but individually, outside of time, before anything was created, right? And so what this speaks to, if, if again, you, sometimes you have to read the Bible through the lens of the people that it was written to. Right, so the Bible was written to kind of an ancient Near East people group. And so when they would have read in the beginning, what they would have heard is outside of time and eternal in nature. Right, we read it in the beginning, we think like in the beginning. We're looking for a specific date, place, time, moment. That's not how it would have read to the people that John was writing to. They would have read that as Jesus existed outside of time. And that Jesus' nature was eternal, right? And so for me, again, some of that's kind of hard to wrap your brain around. And again, I like books with pictures. So here's how it works for me. Like John creates this little word sandwich. And we're going to put this little sandwich up here, right? He says this, in the beginning was the word, right? And we're going to talk about what the word was. But when you start to read this, like the top loaf or top bun, whatever it is, right? In the beginning, which means outside of time and eternal in nature, was the word. Again, we'll talk about what the word means here in a minute. And he says this, the word was with God, right? That's kind of our next little, like the meat of the sandwich. The word was with God. And and this phrase in Greek literally would have meant this. Again, how the people back in this day would have read it was, the word was face to face with, at eye level with, equal to God. 
And then you have the bottom bun, right? It says, he was in the beginning, outside of time and eternal in nature, face to face, equal with, eye level with God from the beginning. So these first three verses in the first chapter of John kind of form this little word sandwich. And here's what John's after, right? We're going to leave this up on the screen. I'll simplify it just a little bit, right? The top and bottom bun, right, of this word sandwich point to Jesus' nature, that Jesus is eternal in nature, right? That he existed outside of time before creation, that he is face-to-face, he is eye-level with God. He is equal to God. We always talk about Jesus as God with skin on, right? But the meat of the sandwich points to Jesus' divine identity, right? So the, the nature is kind of what Jesus is. The meat of the sandwich is who Jesus is. Well, what is Jesus? He's eternal in nature. Well, who is Jesus? He's God. So it's not that only Jesus is like God in every way, but he is God in every way. And the Apostle Paul unpacks this really well, right? In Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, he says this, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, Jesus, who, who though he was in the very form of God, which means this, even though Jesus' form, his nature, and his identity, his divine nature, or his divine identity and his eternal nature, that's who he was. That's who Jesus was. He was eternal in nature, and he was divine. His identity was divine. Even though he was in the very form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in, catch this, the likeness, the likeness of men. And again, that means this, that Jesus, when he lived his 33-ish years on earth, he lived like us. He was in the same likeness of us, but not the same identity and not the same nature. Right? He was in our likeness. But his identity and his nature were different. Paul goes on, he says, being found in human form, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the fullness of Jesus' nature and identity. So when Jesus came and lived among us, Right? He humbled himself. He, he put skin on, right? He came to where we live. He was like us, but not all the way like us. His nature and his identity were different. But we see kind of at the end of this, the fullness, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is the king, right? The king of kings, the Lord of lords. Jesus is the one who's, who at his name, every knee will bow. That's who he is. And so the truth is this for us, church. In order for you and I to worship and know the real Jesus, we have to know his true nature and his true identity. And that's why John starts the biography of Jesus like this. And here's the truth. If you miss, if you and I miss Jesus' true nature and his divine identity, right, his eternal nature and divine identity, you end up with a store-bought idol version of Jesus, right? It's the eight-pound, six-ounce Christmas baby Jesus that Ricky Bobby prayed to, right, with his golden fleece diapers and his little rattle, right? Like, that's the version of Jesus we get if you miss this. Or you wind up with a Jesus that's too small for your mess. You wind up with a Jesus that can't handle your problems. You wind up with a Jesus that you can't trust to handle the things that you face. So when it comes to worshiping Jesus, when it comes to Advent, we have to know Jesus' true nature. 
We have to know Jesus' true identity. His nature is eternal, and his identity is divine. Right? So let's shift gears and kind of get into the meat of the sandwich. I told you we were going to circle back to this whole, like, Jesus was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Like, what is that all about? Like, what's, what's that? What are we getting into? Like, and, and I promise you that this is all going somewhere, right, I hope. Uh, in a minute, at least for me, like, we're all going to come together and go, oh. Like, at least I did, right? Um, maybe not. And then we'll just talk afterwards, okay? So here's what, here's what this whole word thing means. The, the, Tim Mackey, who's a guy that, that works for an organization called The Bible Project, which is awesome, bibleproject.com. You should check it out. Um, Here's what he says about this. He says, a person's word is their word because it embodies their thoughts, but it's also rooted in their character. It's not just what the person says. It's that, and it's also who they are. And so it's interesting that the Greek word that John uses for the word word is the word logos, And I love this because I studied this this week. The word logos refers to an expression of personality through written or spoken word. It's not just the words on a page, right? It's not just the sounds of the word being spoken. It's about their meaning, specifically the meaning of those words when it's attached or connected to a specific writer or speaker. And you know what I'm talking about, right? This is kind of nuanced, but you get it. It's not just what someone says or what someone means, it's what they say and what it means because of who's saying it. You know, and you've got, you're just like me, right? There are certain people in your life that their words carry more weight, right? Their words carry more influence. And so you, you could hear the same two, two different people could say the same things. And, and coming from one person, it's like, that means this. And coming from another person, it means something completely different. Why? Because that person's word carries more weight than someone else's. Think about it like this. If I promise to do something, right, if I promise to you or if I say I'm going to do something for you, right, and to make sure that you can trust that I'm going to show up and follow through what I do, I might say something like this. I promise I give you my word. And if you're already kind of suspect, if you think I'm shady, which that means you're smart, right, I wouldn't follow, if you thought like maybe I wouldn't follow through, you, you might say something like this. Hey, hey, dude, can, can I have your word? At the end of the day, me giving you my word isn't just me putting what I say I do on the line, right? It's not just the literal words that come out of my mouth. It's my word and my character. It's my character. It's my integrity. It's my reputation that's on the line. If I follow through on what I said I would do for you, now my word takes on a higher value, right? Because now you can, you can connect my word, what I say, to my character and to my integrity and to my reputation. If I punk out and don't show up and leave you hanging, now my word means nothing. Don't trust that guy. He'll say this and do something different, right? That's kind of what character is all about. Character is all about what you say and what you do lining up. So the word is both what's promised, but it's also the character of the one doing the promising, It's inseparable. Those two things are are tied together. So you and I can read these first three verses like this. In the beginning, which means outside of time, eternal in nature and divine in identity, was Jesus, God's promise. And Jesus, God's promise, was with God. And Jesus, God's promise, was God. Jesus, who was God's promise, was in the beginning, outside of time and eternal in nature and divine in identity, with God. All things that were made were made through him. Through who? Jesus, God's promise. And without him, without Jesus, God's promise was not anything made that was made. 
You see how it all comes together? One commentary I read said this, to, to John, Jesus was the word and the promise of God. He is the source of all things visible. That Jesus existed before the totality of the material world. And I love this, that Jesus has universal rather than mere local significance. Meaning this, that Jesus is, Jesus is obviously significant in our lives. If you take Jesus out of the equation in my life, I don't exist. Right? Take Jesus out of the equation in your life, you don't exist. Take Jesus out of the equation when it comes to our faith and faithfulness. Like, we have no life outside of Jesus, right? That's kind of local significance. But here's the deal. Universal significance, or what, what I would say is galactic significance, is you take Jesus out of the equation and universes don't exist. Galaxies don't exist. Solar systems don't exist. That's how significant Jesus is. He is both significant to us locally and personally. But Jesus has galactic significance, universal significance. So it says this, because of this, every word and every action of Jesus that follows carries ultimate authority. That's who Jesus is. That's the real Jesus. And so this is where it all comes together. Let's, let's kind of wrap this up by, by, by taking like one of our superstore versions of Jesus that, that kind of we buy with the, the truth of Jesus' nature and his identity and who he really is. And I'm hoping this is where the light bulb will maybe go on for some of us. And so for many of us in the room, our superstore version of Jesus has been kind of what, what I'm calling backup plan Jesus. And backup plan Jesus kind of plays out in our lives in two different ways. The first one is this, the Jesus that we've been sold or the Jesus that we've been led to believe in was really just the backup plan. Like he was the backup plan. It means this, that, that, that when God created everything, and, and then after, after God created everything, it went sideways, right? Because well, Adam and Eve sinned and God didn't see that coming, right? Adam and Eve sinned and that kind of blew it. So, so God, who was caught off guard by Adam and Eve's sin, in a panic, had to scramble and, and call Jesus in the mix to die for us, to fix everything that we screwed up. And now we kind of live out our lives trying to work off the debt and mess of sin that required God to send his son to die for us. See, with backup plan Jesus, it seems and it feels like that God is constantly riding the line between being disappointed in us and flat out mad at us. So when you view Jesus as kind of this backup plan, you kind of picture the narrative, right, kind of playing out like this. Like God looks at us and says, listen, I had it all together. I had it put together like it was supposed to be put together, and then you messed it up. And now look what I had to do. Look what it took. Look what it cost to fix the mess you made. And now you can see in just three verses in one book of the Bible now you can see that that's not true. That's not even kind of true. Like there's no element of truth in, in backup plan Jesus and the fact that, that God was caught off guard by sin and that we blew it and now we're paying for it. Now you can see just from three verses that Jesus wasn't the backup plan, that Jesus was there in the beginning, that he was there before creation. See, John told us that Jesus made everything. And we talked about that in our Supernatural series, that, that God the Father in creation was like the architect Right? He had the plan of creation, but Jesus was like the foreman. He was the one calling out for what needed to be built, speaking those words into creation. So when you read that creation account in Genesis, when God speaks and says, let there be light, that's Jesus' voice. 
And then the Holy Spirit was what set it all in motion. Jesus was there in the beginning. Psalm 33 says this, The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and the stars were born. He, Jesus, assigned the sea its boundaries and locked in the ocean's vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord, which doesn't mean to be scared. It means to hold him in awe, to respect him, to give him honor. And let everyone stand in awe of him, Jesus. For when Jesus spoke, the world began. It appeared at Jesus' command. It means this. Jesus created us knowing that we would sin and try to run our lives on our own, which that's really what sin is, right? Sin is every moment we look at God and say, God, I know you got a plan for this, but I think I can do it better. Get out of my way and let me have what I want. Jesus knew we would do that. Jesus, when, when creation was void of life and formless, like the Bible tells us, he knew that by speaking and creating you and I, it would ultimately mean that he would have to step into our broken world, that he would have to be born in a barn to a teenage mom and a freaked out dad, and that in the end, that it would cost him his life, and he did it anyway. Jesus knew that he would have to save you before he even made you, and he still made you. That's love. He was and he is the promise of God from the beginning. He's God's word. I will do what I say I'll do. I'll keep my promises. If you bought backup plan Jesus and have been living this life of shame and guilt, I just ask you this question. Would you like to make an exchange for the real Jesus? Would you like to make an exchange for the shame and guilt of God, the shame and guilt from God, would you like to make an exchange to, for the promise of God? I'll do what I say I do. I'll show up. So that's one way this all plays out. The second way this plays out is that our superstore backup plan, Jesus, it plays out like this. The only time for some of us that we need him, use him, call on him is when our plans didn't work. Which means this. My personal plan didn't end up like working out like I thought it would, and now I'm in a jam. I need my personal backup plan, Jesus, to get me out of this mess so that I can get back on track with my own life, right? Like Jesus, he's literally our backup plan. And the only time that we use him, the only time we need him, the only time we talk to him, our only expectation of Jesus is to serve our plan. Outside of that, we can take care of it ourselves. Jesus, I, I just, I'm in a tough spot. I just need you to show up in this moment. Would you show up and, 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 and pay my bills? Would you show up and, 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 and give me that promotion? Would you show up and make sure that I get the grades I need to be able to stay on, on the team? Would you show up and give me the grades I need so I don't get grounded over Christmas break? Like, Jesus, like this is, I just need you to show up for this. Jesus, would you show up and make my Chick-fil-A healthy? That's what you do when you're sitting there at Chick-fil-A going, nourishment of our, like, bless this to the nourishment of our body. God's going, uh-uh. Nope. Uh, but here's the thing. Like, that's what we want. We want Jesus to, to show up and get us out of the tight spot, get us out of the jam, get us back on the road, and then leave us alone. Like, just get me out of the jam, Jesus. I, I got it. There's a, there's a story in the Bible, right? Matthew, it's, a, it's in Mark chapter 10, Matthew chapter 19, and Luke chapter 18. You can go read them later. There's this story that, that, that we find in these, in these kind of biographies of Jesus, right? Where a rich man comes to Jesus... And he asks Jesus what he needs to do to inherit eternal life. 
And the rich man looks at Jesus and says, listen, like those Ten Commandments, like you remember those things? Jesus is like, yeah, I wrote them, right? I know them. Um, he says, listen, I've done all those. Like I've done all of those things since even when, like, when I was a little kid. Like I followed all the Ten Commandments. Jesus, I've done all the things that there is to do. So what's left? Basically, he's looking at Jesus going, what's it going to cost me? What's it going to cost me to inherit eternal life? I've done all the other things. And Jesus tells him to go sell all of his stuff and give it to the poor. And then, Jesus says, then come follow me. And the Bible tells us in this story that the rich guy hears what Jesus says. That Jesus says, listen, go, go sell all your stuff and then come follow me. And the Bible tells us that this man walks away sad. Comes up to Jesus. Wants to know what it's going to cost. He was just God shopping, right? He, he really w- didn't want to follow Jesus. He was just wanting what Jesus could offer him. He was God shopping. I've done all the other things. I've been perfect in my life. Right now, Jesus, I just need you to make me perfect forever. And Jesus says, go sell all your stuff. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. And the Bible says he walks away sad. And I've shared this in here before, but to me, the craziest part of this story is that Jesus lets him walk away. Like you'd half expect Jesus to kind of chase him down and retract everything because that's what we would do, right? If we delivered kind of a hard message to somebody or we had a hard truth for somebody, like we'd, we'd kind of track him down afterwards and go, hey, listen, I, I was kind of harsh. I'm sorry. I, I take it all back. Let, let me make this. How can I make this easy for you? How can I make this comfortable for you? How can I make this work out the way that you want? What, how, what kind of agreement do we need to make to kind of put all this behind us and, and you, can, you can do what you want to do? That's kind of what we would do. But not Jesus. Jesus lets him walk away. I mean, it's crazy when you think, like, there's no telling what this guy could have done for Jesus. This guy was wealthy. He was influential. He could have opened all kinds of doors for Jesus, maybe even could have kept Jesus from getting crucified. But Jesus lets him walk. Why? Here's why. Because Jesus won't settle for being an occasional use trophy on your shelf. Because unlike many of us, Jesus knows his true nature. Unlike many of us, Jesus knows his true identity. He knows I'm worth more than that. Jesus won't settle for being your golden parachute. Jesus won't settle for being our backup plan. Well, if this whole thing goes sideways, right, there's always Jesus. That's not the version, right? That's not the real version of Jesus. And the truth is this, if you have that, if that's the version of Jesus that you have in your life right now, that's not the real Jesus, You've created an idol for yourself. In fact, like I said earlier, what you've done is you've really just created an idol in your own image and then slapped Jesus' name on it. That idol might as well have been been sold in the online God store. Shane Pruitt, who's a pastor, says this, the same gospel that saves your life should also change how you live. The gospel isn't simply about accepting or adding Jesus to your life. It's about Jesus taking over your life. And that's radically different. And the reason that, that we give Jesus that kind of territory in our lives is because of his identity and nature. The reason Jesus is worth that, not just adding you to my life, Jesus, but Jesus, here it is, take it, is because he is eternal and he is divine. And the truth is this, there's no one too messy, there's no one too broken, too lost, too sinful, too far gone. 
for Jesus to save. There's no such thing as someone that is just too messy for Jesus. There's no such thing as that. Jesus can absolutely save you, and Jesus can absolutely pull your life out of the pit. But, but after he does that, here's the truth. Jesus wants to move in and set up shop, not go back on the shelf of your life until you need him again. He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants to be the promise of your life. He wants to be the hope in your life. That's what we worship this first week of Advent. This first week of Advent is all about hope. And so my question for you as we wrap up is this. Would you like to exchange the things that you've hoped in? Or maybe the idol that you're hoping in right now. You've realized that this version of Jesus is an idol. It's an idol that you created. And at the end of the day, you, you can't really count on him. You can't really hope. You can't put your hope in stuff like that because it's, at the end of the day, it's just, it's store-bought. Would you like to make an exchange for the real Jesus? Or maybe for some of us in the room, like, we thought we hoped in the real thing before. We were sold what we, what we were led to believe was that we hoped in the real thing, but now you know it's not. Would you like to exchange the shame and guilt and disappointment for, for hope? Hope that says, I can save you. Hope that says, this is who I really am. Hope that says, I never fail in my promises. So we're gonna worship together. The song we're going to sing is a perfect song. It's all about Christ being our foundation. And it asks the question, like, he won't, he won't ever fail. It says over and over and over and over again. He won't fail. He won't. And so today, I just want to make this our anthem. This is the Jesus we believe in. The real Jesus is our firm foundation, and he does not fail. And we have the opportunity to exchange the store-bought idols that we've been sold or that we've pursued for the real thing. So I'm going to pray for us in, in just a second. And, and if you today want to accept Jesus into your life, I'd love to meet you down front. We can talk about what that looks like. If you need prayer this morning, I'd love to pray with you. Or if you just want to spend time at the foot of the cross, you can do that too. If today you want to become part of this family, become part of this church family, that we're just a mess, right? And we're trying to figure out how to do this, how to walk this, this with God life. But we do that with Jesus and we do that with each other. If you want to make that decision, I'd love to chat with you down front. I'm going to pray and then we're going to worship. Jesus, we love you this morning. Not the fake counterfeit version, not the versions that we've created for ourselves, not the, the store-bought idol, but the real you. So Jesus, this morning, I pray that for some of us in the room, we're, we're realizing that what we've been chasing after, what we've been putting our hopes in, the promises we believed in, they weren't real. It could never hold up to what the guarantees that they were making. It was never going to follow through on its word. Jesus, I pray you meet us in this moment and say, I know that that couldn't do what it said it was going to do, but I can. And that we wouldn't feel shame or guilt or we wouldn't feel stupid, but, but Jesus, you give us dignity. You restore dignity. You restore our identity. You restore our nature. You invite us into your family. Jesus, you make an exchange. You take on our mess and we get who you are. You shift our nature from sinful and broken to eternal. You shift our identity from failure to divine. Jesus, that's an amazing exchange, and we thank you that you give us that. And Jesus, for some of us in the room, what we've learned is that a long time ago, we were, we were sold a version of you that just wasn't real. And we walked away. We got hurt. 
Jesus, I pray you meet us in this moment. You meet us in that pain. Because you are a healer. We see it in your word. We see you do it. And you still do it. Through the power and presence of your spirit, you can still heal our souls. You can heal our lives. You can heal our bodies. We believe that. So Jesus, we ask for your healing. You are the word of God, the promise of God. You do not fail. In your name we pray. Amen.